It's time for episode 500 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 26, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that's been with you for 500 episodes. Bow, 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 bow. Woo! Woo! Yay! If you have been listening for 500 episodes, that's amazing. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, my dungeon buddy, because we occasionally play Dungeons and Dragons online. Uh, it's Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing so well, Micah, on this landmark 500th episode. I cannot believe we have been doing this for 500 years. <laughs> One episode a year, and we come up on our 500th. Uh, joining us for this very special episode is one of our most frequent guest panelists. It's the host of Originality. It is the awesome Aline Sims. Hello, Aline. Hi, I left my streamers and my confetti and my glitter in my other computer. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Your presence is enough of a celebration. Oh, thank you. Also joining us to my left this week, it is the co-host of such fabulous podcasts as The Rebound and the head honcho over at Lex Friedman Consulting. It is the one and only Lex Friedman, uh, who also, I just want to add... Uh, it joined us on episode number one of Clockwise back in September Whoa. 2013. So wow. continuity. I, I did the math. Uh, you have done 250 hours of Clockwise. So Ooh. that's a lot of Clockwise. Wow. That's, that is a lot. Perhaps that's a many much, hours. So <laughs> <sighs> well, let us begin this 30 minutes of Clockwise uh, by kicking things off. Uh, I think it's time for some complaint therapy. What is an app? or gadget that you have to begrudgingly use regularly that you would like to take a moment to complain about here on the show. Aline, we'll start with you. I hate calendar apps. I hate them all for different reasons, um, but I have to use them. I hate how um, every time my mother-in-law makes a doctor's appointment and she has some health ongoing health issues that require a lot of doctor's appointments, in labs and imaging, it pops up on my screen and I need to stay informed, but I don't want it to come up whenever she puts it in the calendar. I hate how they sync poorly. I hate how iCal, um, I'm showing my age, how calendar apps, <laughs> how the Mac calendar app, the uh, I, iPad, iOS calendar app does not sync well with Google. They do not play well together. So anything, anytime I'm trying to do something with a client or my originality podcast co-host, everything gets buggered because <laughs> they just do not work well together. I do not like calendars. Do not like them. I, as a writer who has to interface sometimes with the larger world and other companies, boy, I hate Microsoft Word. Uh, I hate it with passion, but I have to use it because I have a lot of, uh, you know, places where I am dealing with companies that where it's kind of like the standard. So, you know, every time I turn in a book manuscript, I write in Scrivener, but I have to basically turn it into a Word doc. And then eventually it gets sent back to me as a Word doc with track changes. And I have to go through several rounds of track changes and resolve comments and all this. And every time I, you know, pony up my six, seven bucks a month or whatever, went to like start using Word for a few months, 
I get frustrated. I think like, oh, maybe this time it'll finally have fixed these these complaints from the last time I did this like a year ago. And nothing ever changes. <laughs> it's still the same steaming pile that it was before. And I I just get so frustrated because there always feels like there's like a handful of small things that would just improve my experience so much. And yet I don't think anybody at Microsoft ever cares to fix them. So I'm I'm stuck there with them forever. Lex, what about you? You know, I, I actually considered using Microsoft Excel as my answer because I am one of the people that, you know, accounting people hate because I prefer Google Sheets. But I'm going with the Apple Music app, which I think is terrible on all devices and makes me sad because I really like listening to music. And I basically only interact with Apple Music via Siri, which is not a great way to do it anyway. But uh, I think the app is really poor at navigation and general use and finding my own stuff. And I never actually know what playlists will carry through to different devices and if it's going to know where I've left off or how the search is really going to behave. And sometimes it's really obvious how to toggle between searching my local library and searching, you know, Apple Music, the service. And sometimes it's not. And it all makes me really grumpy. Uh, music should be joyful and there was a, a time when Apple was like so all in on music that it was what all their ads were about. And they, they talked about music all the time and they've made it really like, what's the least fun and most robotic way to listen to music? We've got it. We've got it. All right. Uh, for me, it's gotta be discord and it's not because discord is terrible. It is because I feel terrible every time I use discord because I don't get it. And it exists right on that edge of being something that I don't also want to devote time to learning. So it's just in this sort of, I don't know, like like uh, a pebble in the shoe area in my life where I know it could be more powerful. I could actually understand what it means to, you know, hop in different channels and all of the commands that it has. And we use it for work. We're using it for this show. Uh, I'm in a bunch of discords because that's what everybody does these days. Anytime you sign up for stuff. And I don't know how any of it does anything. And sometimes I get lost trying to find the live stream chat for Relay. And yet I don't have the, the, the wherewithal to take the time to learn more about it. So yeah, Discord, it's, it, it's the one for me. Let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Aline. So I've been thinking about the future of phones, specifically because... There's been this kind of interesting and highly maligned mock-up of a device that like projects uh, your screen onto your hand so you can like just touch your hand to pick up a call or whatever. Um, and so it has me thinking about the future and like the science fiction version of the future of phones or what we think of as phones now and what they'll be in the future and I'm wondering if you have any predictions or hopes for that. You know, we look often to things like science fiction um, to see where things might be heading. I mean, you look back at the original Star Trek series and they all had their little pocket communicators and well before cell phones were really a thing. And I think it's gotten harder and harder to envision exactly what that future looks like because so much of the stuff that looks great on a TV show, you know, where it's all special effects and stuff like that doesn't end up working great in a real world usability context. So those slabs of glass from the expanse, for example, feel like a thing that looks very pretty, but if you were trying to use would be very frustrating and not very ergonomic. I don't know what to make of this whole thing with the, uh, was this the humane device that projects on your hand hmm. other than it feels like 
kind of a again a cool flashy idea that if you were actually using in person would be a huge mess and just very frustrating to use. Um, I mean, similarly, I think we've dealt with this with the, you know, when Google Glass was sort of a, a going concern, like there are all these concerns that the people making it had not really thought about. Like, what if you go into a public space wearing Google Glass? Like, how does that work? Is it, you know, weird to be giving vo- voice commands where you're just sort of standing there staring off at your headset? I don't know. I mean, all these things are kind of strange, um, but they feel like sooner or later we have to find something that either we're all willing to accept as a society or something that is so unobtrusive a la the current phone um that you don't even notice it i'm not saying the phone is totally unobtrusive but i'm saying compared to like staring at something or wearing a big headset on your face i feel like it's probably a little lower profile so i don't really know where it's going i think probably eventually some sort of creepy implant thing which i really don't want but hopefully i'll be dead by then <laughs> we're all hopeful. what about you? <laughs> yeah thanks what about you I don't think that the overall general form factor is going to change significantly anytime soon. Like, I think that obviously various vendors are working with folding and I think, how can I get this device to be as small as possible, but its screen to be as big as possible will remain uh, a thing that all these phone manufacturers are thinking about. But the innovations that seem to me that they haven't quite hit yet are one, and nobody's ever done this really successfully. How can you get the thing to be more 3D sometimes without it causing people headaches or making them wear stuff or whatever else? Because part of what I think gets people excited in sci-fi shows about having those weird special effect-based projections is that you get more dimensionality. Is that, Maybe that's a word. But you get more dimension to whatever it is that you're interacting with. I think there's something there. But I don't know. It feels very far off since nobody's ever been able to do it in any reasonable way without making you wear stupid looking glasses. But when you think about like the watch and how the Apple Watch can kind of tap you unless you know you have a notification or when you're wearing AirPods, it can read you that you have a notification. Having it like be able to be quietly implanted <laughs> where you can get a soft notification in your brain that you have a new alert or something to attend to without having to interrupt whatever else you're doing. That feels like the eventual destination. Uh, so I've talked about this before. I still feel like the eventual future is one where we do break the bounds of these little, little slabs of glass or whatever they happen to be. Um, every time I see those translucent, uh, slabs from the future, they make me laugh because it seems like it'd be less visible, uh, less of of a, of a pleasurable experience in terms of being able to watch what's on the screen or read what's on the screen, because now you've got, it's like windows Vista of the future, which is just silly (laughs) in the meantime though. Yeah. I think we'll continue to see what uh, everybody's kind of talking about these ways of trying to make a bigger screen, but still make it pocketable or similarly uh, transferable to different areas. Aline, why don't you round us out with your thoughts on the future? The idea of getting a ping in my brain every time someone messages me, it just, (laughs) I just, it makes my back crawl. I I think about implanting something in my body that causes me more anxiety. And it's just like, (laughs) this is awful. Like, Dan, I hope that it's in the far future and I hope I am dead because (laughs) I, I think that's where we're going. And it just, oh, I don't know, folks. It just does not sound fun. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Factor. Look, this spring you need nutritious, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, active days and keep you on track for reaching your goals. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. 
So skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping and prepping and the cleaning up, too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, which is way faster than any takeout option. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, and then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. There are delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles like keto, calorie-smart, which are around or less than 550 calories per serving, vegan, veggie, and protein plus. And they're all prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, so each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long while meeting your goals. With 34-plus chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons, including breakfast items like egg bites, smoothies, and more. I tried the Bipoblano. Oh, yeah. It was incredibly like filling, which was really nice for like a lunch. A lot of times, I feel like my lunch, I just kind of dash it off, whatever, and like, oh, then mid-afternoon, you get hungry again. Um, but it was... F- tasty. Uh, it tasted very flavorful. had a bunch of different tastes and flavors into it. It was all mixed together really well. And it was made like a meal that you get at like a restaurant or something like that. And I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was put it in the microwave, which was incredibly convenient. So if you're somebody like me, who's often just like staring in the fridge being like, I don't even know what I'm going to have for lunch today. Take some of that decision making overhead out of your life and just uh, grab a nice convenient meal. I also got uh, one of the smoothies, uh, a strawberry banana smoothie. I'm not usually a smoothie person, but I have to say it was it was pretty good. So uh, worth trying out. Plus, Factor focuses on sustainability. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door. Plus, they source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. And they feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Head to factormeals.com slash clockwise50 and use code clockwise50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code clockwise50 at factormeals.com slash clockwise50 to get 50% off your first box. Our thanks to Factor for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Halftime has concluded, and for our 500th episode spectacular, it's my turn. Uh, I want to know if you currently or have ever dual-booted one of your devices into multiple operating systems, and specifically, have you ever done it for any reasons beyond just the novelty of doing it? Lex? Um, really, no. <laughs> I I ran Parallels for a little while when I wanted to do some Windows-specific things, and there was a time when I really lusted after getting one of those Macs that you could boot into either <laughs> DOS or Mac OS back in the day. I did eventually have such a Mac and then never had any reason to boot into Windows other than playing Minesweeper. Uh, so uh, your question said, for reasons beyond novelty. So my answer has to be unequivocally no. I have done it exclusively for reasons of novelty and haven't done it since college. So overall, I would say no, um, because I am a ridiculous human who has a Linux machine, a Windows machine, and a Mac OS machine. So I can just, I don't have to dual boot. I just swap between them. Oh, dear. Aline, take this question away from me. Yes, I have. Um, I used to have a job where I wrote documentation for software built on Microsoft Access. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also did training on it. And obviously, uh, it was all Windows for them. And I kind of refused. I'd been, you know, decades into Windows machines and was like, no, I will not use a Windows machine. So I had to use I'm trying to remember what I even used. I think it was boot camp. Um, so that I could accurately write documentation and take screenshots without having to juggle a couple of devices. Um, and I still think about, I think about doing dual booting on my current Mac because I want to play video games 
And there aren't good video, well, not blanket, but there aren't a lot of good video games that will run on Macs. And so about, I don't know, every other month, I'm like, maybe I should do that. And then I come to my senses and (laughs) do not, in fact, do that. My history with this mirrors Lex's a lot, which is I also wanted one of those Macs that like would let you run DOS, primarily for running games, because when I was growing up, most of the good games were on Windows uh, or DOS, not on the Mac, which was a bummer. And then I think, you know, eventually by the time the Intel Macs debuted and you could run Windows on them, I definitely did it out of curiosity, but it was never something that I had enough call for that I was going to be rebooting into Windows very often. Um even with like the virtualization stuff, I did not end up using it ever as much as I thought I would because I think like Aline, most of what I wanted to do was play games and games never ran very well in virtualization uh, if they were modern. Um, and the idea of just sort of constantly rebooting and playing, you know, just to play a game was annoying. So in the brief spate of time when I did uh, play a lot of PC games, I basically just built a gaming PC because that was much more efficient. Um, these days, I do most of my gaming on consoles, so that does you know doesn't uh, sort of does away with that problem altogether. I did just experiment with trying to install uh, the Chrome OS Flex on this old iMac I have sitting here, but <clears throat> since I think the iMac itself is kind of dead. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't seem to work very well. So I, I really, again, and that was more of a novelty thing than anything else. So yeah, I, I think there is definite need, you know, reasons why people would want to do this for reasons that are obviously not related to just, hey, I'm curious and like poking around. Uh, but in my life, it's pretty much always ended up being that. But thank you all for your thoughts on that topic. Let us go to our final topic, which comes from Lex. You know, there's obviously been tons of rumors in the Apple ecosystem about Apple getting ready to unveil some kind of AR VR headset. And uh, we all have opinions. And my my question is basically, what's yours? What would it have to cost? And what would it have to do for you to be eager to buy such a new Apple headset or anybody else's headset? I would prefer for it to be less than $2,000, first and foremost. And secondly, the thing that it would have to do is actually something that Apple's uh, headset it sounds like it's going to do. There is reportedly a dial on it that you can basically uh, shift back and forth between augmented reality and virtual reality. And the augmented reality version is, uh, because of all of the cameras they're putting on it, more true to life than we've seen before. One of my favorite features of the MetaQuest 2 was the way that you could tap on the side and then it would switch to the sort of augmented view. That way you could at least move around if you needed to without having to take off the headset. Um, but because it was black and white and very sort of uh, low resolution, it wasn't a great experience. And when I was trying to use the uh, MetaQuest 2 as a means of kind of doing some productivity stuff, I would need to type in passwords. And so I would have to take off the headset, find the password, put the headset back on. <laughs> and I imagine many of you have pseudo random passwords as your passwords for all of the different stuff that you have. I did too. So it was putting it in my head, quickly putting the headset back on typing what I could remember going back because uh, switching to the the view the way that it is it's like IR and I don't even know what all and so it was so low quality and the screen was all blown out you couldn't really read what was on a screen 
Apple's headset reportedly won't be doing that. And so I'm interested uh, in seeing how that plays out. Uh, I think that the basically the switch between sort of gaming and play to doing productivity stuff is what's of most interest to me. Aline, what about you? I think a lot about, see, I think a lot about (laughs) the role that virtual reality headsets might play in my life. And I just, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old or what, but I just, I just cannot envision it. And so in addition to that concern, I also have, um, in addition to regular migraine headaches that people think of as, as you know, painful headaches. I have vestibular migraines, which is a condition that makes me really, really dizzy. And so the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to need assurances that, you know, some some people get wonky vision things with VR. And so this headset is going to have to like not trigger trigger my vestibular migraines um, for me to be able to actually use it. And I don't know, it's going to have to be like a fire sale price for me to get it because I just I cannot justify, especially with the way that the Apple headset is rumored to be like a very personal device, like an iPhone. I'm not going to spend two thousand dollars on that and then stick it in a corner and not use it. It's It's got to be like inexpensive introductory special price or whatever for me to be able to do it. I just, um, maybe they're going to blow me away during a presentation. Maybe someone will blow me away uh, with with their headset technology, but I just, I can't, I can't envision ever buying a VR headset. I'm very intrigued by it, but I don't know why i mean the most compelling stuff i've seen in vr is games and i don't even have a device that plays vr games so i have that moment of being like well what do you you got to sell me on this this is a to Aline's point like and to answer your question extremely broadly lex you got to tell me why i want it like i'm not sure even why i want this device so what is it going to do that is going to be compelling to me and Right now, the idea would be like, oh, you could have your iPad apps and they're floating in the air. It's like, great, (laughs) but that is not something I've ever really cried out for in my life. So I'm not sure that I see the real appeal of that. Um, But what is it going to enable me to do that I couldn't do before? And I've seen some compelling ideas of like what this tech could look like, even in Apple's own products. The other day I was downtown and I got out of the subway and I had to figure out where I was going and I held up my phone with maps. And it's like, oh, by the way, you know, if you like, you know, look around in maps, uh, scan the buildings, it can tell you where you are. Uh, and then you hold the phone up and it like shows you pass through for the camera, but then puts giant labels on like where the streets are. And I was like, this is great. Like if I were in a city, especially like as a like where uh, I didn't know where I w- like was going was a tourist or something like that. It would be amazing to have a device where I could like look around and it would just tell me what where all the streets were. Um but the VR headset, or at least this first version, is not going to be that because I'm not going to be carrying that around with me and wearing it all the time. I can see that's like the goal maybe down the road. Um, and that is compelling to me in a certain use case. But the current version feels most compelling in that it's like the f- we're planting our flag here so that we have to get to that place in the future. So I, I don't know if this is just a product that is only makes sense in the future. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough. And to the pricing point... 
$3,000 for something. We just talked about novelties of dual booting stuff. $3,000 is expensive for novelty. So I'm hoping it comes in significantly underneath that or at least eventually comes down to that price. Lex, why don't you wrap us up? You know, I bought a, a Panic Playdate knowing that it was a device that I wasn't going to use a ton, but that I would like to own. Uh, and I don't use it a ton. And I like that I own it. <laughs> I cannot... I, I imagine many of these headsets, if Apple sells them... Um, being used a whole lot early on and then never again. Like these, these feel like junk drawer <laughs> things, expensive junk drawer things. So as to what it could possibly do, I really don't know. I just might not be in the market, particularly if it's going to, the battery lasts for two hours. If you have to put a battery pack in your pocket, all those kinds of rumors that we're hearing, like I, I wasn't even sold on the idea of this as a, a fitness device until I recently spoke to a, you know, a real world in-person non-nerd friend who's been using some fitness apps on a different headset. It's like, this is the only way I can motivate myself to work out. Like, instead of just having to do the cardio thing, I'm like beating up zombies or I'm whatever. I'm I'm slicing fruit, but I'm doing it with my actual arms. And I get that. I, I could see that being an area where, where Apple could potentially shine. It doesn't feel like something I would pay a ton for. Um, I, I think that for me, I, I've gone on the record on the rebound saying that I, I'm, I'm not going to be in the market for the first one. I don't think that there's a headset functionality that could get me excited to pay more than $500. I, mm. I imagine um, like if it was incredible, well, maybe I'd spend a thousand dollars, but I, I just don't know what it is that I need. Like to me, the ideal experience is watching a movie on a plane where it's effectively full screen on my brain because it's right in front of my eyeballs, but I don't need that. I can just look at it on my iPad and that's just fine. So I, I just, I just am not the target demo um, at least based on what I know so far. Folks, that brings us nearly to the end of this episode of Clockwise. But before we get to the bonus topic, I am so excited for our next sponsor here on the network. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Ecamm and Ecamm Live. See, Ecamm Live is a powerful live streaming and video production app for the Mac. It can help you do just about anything with video. It's also incredibly easy to use so anyone can be up and running in minutes. And this is from personal experience. I quite literally use this app Every single week, every Tuesday, I host a show called iOS Today on the Twit Network, and Rosemary Orchard and I both use Ecamm Live, uh, and we get so many emails asking, how is it that you're doing, how, yeah, and it's always Ecamm Live, Ecamm Live, because we are able to plug in our iPhone or our iPad and essentially mirror the screen of our iPhone or iPad onto the screen uh, in Ecamm Live, and then I can have myself with my camera sitting next to my device and then use that as a webcam in Zoom that then displays for everybody out there to see what I'm doing on my iPhone or my iPad. I'm always getting questions. How are you mirroring the screen there? It's through Ecamm Live. Ecamm Live, it's so simple to use. They're always adding new features to make it even better. And it it's so quick and it, it's it's second nature in terms of, of getting everything set up and uh, organized just how you want it. I would be lost without Ecamm Live uh, for my show. It, it's, it's incredible. With Ecamm, you can quickly and easily create professional live streams, video podcasts like I'm doing, Zoom meetings where you're showing things on screen, recorded webinars, Instagram reels, yes, and everything in between. So, 
stand out from the crowd with high quality video. You can add logos, titles, lower thirds, graphics. You can share your actual screen so you can do screencasts. You can drop in video clips that you play at a certain time. Yes, Ecamm Live also features its own built-in interview tools so people can call you through Ecamm Live and join and you can bring them in. I mean, it's it's a full-on production suite. You can use a green screen with it and so much more. Ecamm Live does it all. Their members are entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, podcasters, educators, musicians, bloggers, content creators of all kinds. So try Ecamm Live for free. I'm serious. Everybody out there that's listening, there's a reason for you to be using this. You'll find it. Uh, So go try it for free today. See what everyone is talking about at ecamm.tv slash clockwise. That's ecamm.tv slash clockwise. Please go there now, check it out. And of course, our thanks to Ecamm for their support of this very special 500th episode of Clockwise and their support of Relay FM. All right, we are back from the break, and that means it is time for the bonus topic. My question for you, do you prefer sweet candy, sour candy, or chocolate? Aline, we'll start with you. Dark chocolate only. <laughs> High five, dark uh, dark chocolate all day, all day long. The darker the better. Milk chocolate or like spicy cinnamon sweet candy? Hmm. Ooh, yes, Lex. Yes. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I really, really, really like cinnamon candy. Uh, yes. Yes. So good. So I'm a dark chocolate and cinnamon guy uh, through and through. Absolutely. I think it's time to mention that if you'd like to get ad free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you out there can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year and you will help support the show. In this week's Overtime Topic, we get reflective about 500 years. I mean, 500 episodes. (laughs) And with that, we have reached the end of this 500th episode of Clockwise. I want to thank Aline Sims for joining us uh, for this episode and for many episodes of Clockwise. Thank you so much. I love being here. And Lex Friedman, thank you so much for being on episodes going back a decade. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love being very old. (laughs) Uh, And Micah, we'll be back next week for episode 501. Um, But uh, until then, we'll remind you, as we have for the last 500 episodes, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. 